You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. In Genesis 33, if you go ahead and turn there, and we'll stand in a moment, but we've spent the last uh, two uh, weeks looking at Jacob's return home and as he prepares to face his brother Esau, and I, I've reviewed this enough that probably you know it, but I, I, uh, we have some that haven't been here. And so the last time these two saw each other, these two brothers, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, Esau was born first, Jacob was born second. And before they were born, God told uh, their parents that the elder will serve the younger. So Jacob was the one to whom all the, all the authority and the blessing and the birthright he was the one that would receive all that. And that was, that was unique. It was rare for a younger brother to get the birthright and the blessing. And, and so 20 years before this, though, uh, Jacob had deceived his father, Isaac, uh, to receive the blessing that Esau felt he was deserving of. And the last time they saw each other, Esau was saying, I'm going to kill you. And not in the way that a brother, an older brother typically says that to his younger brother. This was legitimate. I'm going to kill you. As soon as our father is dead and, and I'm done mourning that, I'm coming after you. That was the last thing that Jacob heard. That's the last interaction he had with Esau was, was that a threat of death. And so he knows, though, that God has promised him the land, the promised land. And he knows that he's got to return to the land. But he also knows that a return to the promised land means he's got to go through Esau. Because Esau still there in the area. And the last time he heard the chapter before this, then he had sent messengers. And the messengers came back and he said, did you find Esau? And they said, yeah, we found Esau. And we also found 400 men with him. So can you imagine the fear and the dismay that Jacob was feeling at this, at this point leading up to this? And, and, and God had to wrestle him into submission to remind Jacob that God was in control and you are not. We looked at that last week and the Lord dislocated his hip so all he could do was lean and cling on the Lord. It's a good place to be. But there's really no reason for God to have to injure us for us to get there. We ought to be willing to submit to the Lord before we ever get to that point. But we're going to begin reading in Genesis 33. This is after the wrestling match. And this is when God is, is about to bring Jacob and Esau Together, Look at Genesis 33, verse 1, as you stand. Genesis 33, verse 1, and, and it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came. And with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he, he put the handmaids and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and Joseph uh, hindermost. And, and he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him. And at that point, this could go either direction. Esau ran to meet him. And in Jacob's mind, can't you imagine when this happened and when he replayed it in his mind or replayed it in his mind before, he's saying, here comes Esau with a sword. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. 
could still go both ways, and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. It's not what Jacob was expecting. Say, is there an impossible task that you can't handle? Well, we can ask Jacob because he saw a miracle happen here. The miracle of reconciliation. And let's, let's keep reading. It says, and he lifted up his eyes, Esau, and he saw the women and the children and said, who are those with thee? Kind of like a big brother, like, you're my little brother. There's no way you got married. <laughs> but he did. Um, multiple times, actually. Thank you. Amen. Who are, whose are these, he says. And, and he said, the children which God hath graciously given thy servant." Then the handmaidens came near, and they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, what meanest thou by all this drove which I met? What's with the petting zoo, he says. And he said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough. This, this is a huge statement. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. And he said, let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, my Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. And let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord, unto Seir. And Esau said, let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, what needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. He's kind of like, he, he's deflecting. He's, he's trying to diplomatically turn down these, these offers of help. Because he, he knows that, that he's got a mission. And Esau is going above and beyond, by the way. And he says, no, my, if I don't need the help. And so Esau returned that day on his way into Seir. And look at this, verse 17. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and, and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. And therefore the name of the place is called is Sukoth. And Jacob came to Shalem and a city of Shechem, and, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram and pitched his tent before the city and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money and he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which, which we'll talk about the name there. But, but I just want you to, I just want to point out that God's program for Jacob is not, is not over. But before Jacob could settle he had to deal with Esau before Jacob could settle in the land 
there had to be some reconciliation. I'm calling this, the title today, Water Under the Bridge. And I think you know what that phrase means, many of you do, and the phrase means that, that the past is what it is, you can't change it. So we're going to move forward from here. And you can't change the past, but you can move forward. And there are far too many people in churches just like ours and in homes just like yours that have been hurt or maybe you've hurt others. And that hurt, if we don't know how to deal with it, it's going to hinder our ability to move forward in life. So it's a very practical message and you may say, well, I'm not hurt. I'm doing fine right now. Well, maybe, maybe this can prevent some hurt from binding you in the future. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we need you and we need you to bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a sign that sits on my dresser at home and I'd like to show it to you at this point. If we can get it. It says, as far as anyone else knows, we are a nice, normal family. And that, that picture, I took that last night because that sign, you can leave it up for now, guys, that sign has been on my mind lately. Because when we first got it, I didn't really pay much attention to it. But after a while, I, you know, it's one, it's one of those things that's there for a while and you forget it's there, but it's right in front of your face every day. And in this last week, I walked by it again and I saw it again almost for the first time. And I was almost a little bit offended. See, I guess my, my mom had, had found this sign somewhere and, and she gave it to us as, as kind of a tongue-in-cheek, maybe a little bit of a joke. And, and I was thinking, what's the joke? We are a nice, normal family. But the longer I thought about it, I realized maybe we're not as normal as I thought. You know, we think we're normal, but... Everybody thinks they're normal. And something struck me this week that I believe is a spiritual principle, and that is this, everybody's weird. And you know I'm right. I heard somebody say, in my family, crazy is a relative term. You'll get that in about 20 minutes. You know, every family is kind of weird in their own way. Every family has a different way of doing things. When I first got married to my wife, I mean, she's got a longer list than me, but when I first got married to my wife, I thought it was weird that when we went out to breakfast with her family, they would order pop. I mean, obviously you're weird too. I mean, I thought that was strange. But you know what? When I order now, when I go to Chick-fil-A and get a chicken biscuit, bless God, then I get a diet Dr. Pepper with it because her weirdness rubbed off on me. Every family has a way of doing things. And, you know, especially when you first get married, you're like, well, that's weird, and that's weird, and that's weird. You know, every family has a way of dealing with each other. Every family has a way that they talk to each other. I mean, maybe there are some families um, that are laid back about everything, and nothing riles them up. And I, I mean, you say, I would love to be around a family like that. There are some families that every conversation has a certain level of intensity if you know what I mean. There are some families that never raise their voices. 
And there are some families that never lower their voices. You know, every family has a way of doing things that's a, a little bit different. And what might seem normal to you could be completely foreign to somebody else. And if you, by the way, for our young people, our singles, if you're considering marrying somebody and you want a true test of what, what it's going to be like, go to one of their family reunions. That will tell you. It'll either convince you or, or you will be running for the hills. If you're still convinced it's right, then, then great. But, you know, joking aside, is, it is sad that some families are so disjointed that a family reunion is like World War III. Thank you, guys. You can take that down. You know, most of that is due to offenses. Small things that, that were said or done years before that were never dealt with hurts. I have very close relatives that haven't spoken in 40 years. Siblings, real or perceived, there are hurts that have separated people that God intends to have relationships with each other. And Genesis 33 is about God's chosen family. And you would think that this family of all families should represent God's design for a family. And, and that this should be the one that sets the example. And yet the dysfunction level of this family is at a 10. For two decades, there's been lots of water under the bridge. But the reason that I want to bring this out today, and there's other directions I could have taken this message, but I do believe what God wants us to see here today is that if he can restore this relationship, he can restore any relationship. And there may not be a sweeter or more unexpected family reunion than Genesis 33. And that's what makes this, in my mind, a, a hopeful text today. Because if God can reconcile these two brothers who have literally been fighting since the womb, there's no relationship beyond his repair. The question is, are you willing to do what it takes to be reconciled? See, reconciliation requires a desire from both sides. And, and it's obvious to me that Jacob has a desire for reconciliation. Uh, he's been afraid. He's been, uh, he's been in dismay. But God had to say, no, it's not your camp. It's my camp that you should trust in. And God got him alone and wrestled with him and brought him to the place that he, he, all he had was God. And, and he knew that was enough for him. And he's been in turmoil, though, about this reunion. And, and, but that's how we, we start to see what he does here makes us think that Jacob has a strong desire to make this work. You see, Jacob is the offender, but I want you to notice what he does in this text. He's the one who you might say he's the guilty party. He's the one that offended Esau. But what, notice what he does. First, he takes responsibility. Verse 1, it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came with him and, and with him 400 men. And, and then he divides his family. And, and I'm not exactly sure why he does it this way. Uh, he takes his handmaids and their children, and he puts them up front. And then he put, takes Leah and her children and puts them behind them. And then he takes Rachel and Joseph. And his, by the way, Rachel's the wife he chose the wife that he loved, and you might say, well, poor Jacob was taken advantage of, and I mean, I understand all that. I'm not completely sure 
why he does it this way. Um, but, you, but before you judge him too harshly, if you think your enemy is coming with 400 soldiers and your family is there, you're going to try something. You're going to try to figure something out. And, and, and he's, maybe he's thinking, well, if they attack the, the, the ones up front, the rest of them can flee. Now, I'm not saying that he did this the right way because we know that I, I personally believe the reason that, Jacob, or that Joseph's brothers hated him so much uh, started in, in moments like this. Because Jake, Joseph's brothers were old enough to know what's going on and they're seeing the preferential treatment of Joseph back in the back. That's a different sermon. So I don't know that there's wisdom here, but what would you do? You think this man's coming, to, he's coming to 400 men, he's going to come and kill us. But, but the reason I believe that Jacob has had a change of heart is because before, if we read chapter 32, we see that he sends his family over the river and he stays back and there wrestled a man with him. Well, that's not what's happening in this time. Look at verse 3. And he passed over before them. You see, there's a change of heart. I believe that Jacob is not saying, okay, here's my family. Take them out and I can run. No, he, he sends them ahead, but he goes right out in the front and he leads his family this time. And I happen to believe that there's been a change of heart in Jacob. And, and there's a lot of interpretations here, but the fact that he's out in front means that Jacob is finally taking responsibility for himself. Listen, if you've ever offended somebody and there's reconciliation to be made, then take responsibility for the actions that you've committed. And if our country, if we would simply just say, you know what, I'm personally, I'm personally responsible for my own actions. If every person, every citizen of our country would just say, I'm personally responsible and I'm not looking to blame all my problems and my choices and my issues on everybody else. I'm personally responsible. Can you imagine how much better our country would be? If people would just say, you know what? I, I'm responsible for my own actions. I'm not going to look to blame somebody else. If you're going to uh, enjoy reconciliation, then you may need to take some responsibility. It's not always somebody else's fault. And we like to present ourselves as never making mistakes. But you know what? We all make mistakes. And we all need to take personal responsibility when we've made those mistakes. The other thing I notice here is that Jacob is humble. So Jacob leads his family and it says in verse 3, And he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And in the ancient world, the way that you would approach a king was that you would bow and then you would take steps and then you would bow and then you would take steps and then you would bow and take steps. I'm trying to see if Jessica does this too. And then you bow and take steps. Okay, I was seeing what she did. So, this is a, this is a mark of humility. Is that, that you, Jacob is deliberately saying, I'm humble before you. Now, before it seemed like Jacob was just afraid. And he's like, oh, here's animals. Here's, here's I mean, take it all. Well, now he's making deliberate action. He's humbling himself. 
as the offender. He knows that he needs to be humble before Esau. He needs to show that he is he's not full of pride, that he's willing to humble himself. He's willing to approach Esau the way that he should. It's not out of fear or dismay, we're not told. He's making a deliberate choice to reconcile and be humble. You know, reconciliation starts with an acceptance of personal responsibility, but it must be followed up with a choice to be humble. Only by pride cometh contention. You know the reason that you're still at odds with somebody? is because one or both parties isn't willing to be humble. If both parties are willing to say, I take responsibility for my part, I am humble here, I'm telling you, reconciliation is possible. Nothing stops reconciliation when we choose humility. And Jacob got right with the Lord and relinquished control of this to God. And when you're right with God and he's in control of your life, you don't feel like you have to control the situation still. You kind of leave it in his hands. You humble yourself. And Jacob did. You know what else Jacob did is that Jacob was willing to take the first step. So Jacob took personal responsibility. Jacob was humble. And then he's willing to take the first step. You know, it says Jacob lifted up his eyes. He was moving toward the promised land. He was going toward Esau, and then Esau starts coming toward him. But sometimes reconciliation simply needs one person to take the step. You know, very often what I have found is when I have an issue with somebody or I'm at odds with somebody and I'm dreading it and I'm wringing my hands and I'm like, what if, what if, what if? Listen, when I'm willing to take the first step and I'm humble and I take responsibility for my actions in this situation, I have found that in most cases the other party is just as relieved to fix the issue as I was. Now, is that always going to be the case? No. Not always, but I'm telling you more often than not, they're hoping that they can get this fixed too. And it just takes somebody to make the first step to be humble and take that responsibility personally and say, I will take this first step and I will head your direction. You have to get the place that you're done with the feud. Recognize that unless you reconcile, you cannot move forward. And I'm thankful that Jacob is willing to take responsibility and be humble and take the first step. But honestly, the biggest surprise in this passage is Esau. See, Esau desires reconciliation as much as Jacob. And after Jacob shows his humility, Esau responds with eager forgiveness. He, he runs, uh, Esau ran to meet him. And can you imagine, for Jacob, it was like slow motion run. Esau's running to meet him. And Jacob's like, no. I mean, Esau runs to meet him. He, this man's man, this, this man of the field, he was born looking like a bear rug. He's impulsive and he's, hunt, he's a hunter and he's an alpha male. And yet he, he runs up to Jacob and he's crying on his shoulder. I mean, he clearly is seeking reconciliation. You know, the biggest gift in all of this is not the animals that Jacob sent. It's, it's the fact that God has done a work in Esau. And Esau's gift of forgiveness is mind-blowing. I'm like, what happened to Esau? And some might say, well, you know, time heals all wounds. I don't know. I, to me, that... I don't buy that. 
I mean, I've been wounded and you've been wounded. And listen, if time passes but that wound never, uh, never gets fixed, it doesn't heal, it turns to bitterness. And so I don't buy that it's, well, time has passed. Um, you know, maybe it was just Esau maturing and growing up. Well, I just want to remind you that when Esau and Jacob uh, last saw each other, they were in their 70s. They had already had time to grow up. It's not like they were teenagers. Uh, so I don't chalk this up to maturity. I don't talk, chalk it up to time. Uh, I'm sure Esau felt like it didn't matter because Esau had been blessed. Maybe some people say, well, you know, Esau is forgiving because he has his own wealth and his own riches. And he does. But, but, but that's like saying that a rich man never, never sought revenge on somebody else. I've known plenty, and you have too. I've, probably, I've known plenty of wealthy people that are eaten up with bitterness. Because their wealth is not enough for them. You know, to be rich and to have everything. That didn't answer all of Esau's problems. See, I don't buy, I don't buy all that. I don't, I don't believe that this just happened because time passed and, and it healed the wounds. And Esau's grown up and, and he's wealthy anyway. He doesn't need all the blessings. No, Esau doesn't respond this way because he was older or, or any of that. This goes beyond that. I believe we are seeing what God does when his people get with his program. I believe we are seeing the work of God. And the reason I believe that is because in this passage, Jacob even bears that when he says, I've seen the face of God and, uh, and thou was pleased with me, as though I had seen the face of God. So even Jacob is saying, God has done a miracle. He's, he's fixed this impossible task. And listen, Esau didn't even follow God. Esau wasn't a believer, but, but he gives us a picture of forgiveness. This is what the Lord desires for you and your relationships to look like. You've got one side that's, got, that's displaying humility and responsibility and taking steps. And you've got the other side that says, water under the bridge. What Esau says in verse 9 is the heart of forgiveness. Look what he says. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And I don't think Esau even knew how important that phrase was. This is the foundation of forgiveness. See, to release somebody from a debt that they owe you, that's forgiveness. See, and the Bible talks about forgiveness in financial terms. And when somebody hurts you, they owe you a debt. And, and uh, they deserve to pay it. You're owed something. It could be big, it could be small. In this case, Jacob took what Esau perceived to belong to him, his birthright and the blessing, his inheritance. This was a big deal. And you know, Esau, if he had demanded that Jacob repay the debt, he would have been right in human eyes. He would have been justified in doing so. Jacob owed him. But forgiveness, listen, forgiveness is when someone who is owed a debt says, you owe me nothing. I release you. And that's exactly what Esau does. And by the way, forgiveness is not when someone comes to you and, and maybe they don't even come and ask and you go to them and you say, listen, I forgive you. You're wrong. And you're a low life. And you really messed me up and you owe me and I could demand it and I would deserve it. But... I choose forgiveness. 
That's not the spirit we're talking about here. You see, that's a matter of pride, and that is not the heart of forgiveness like what we're talking about. Esau looked at Jacob, and he says, listen, I have enough. I don't need anything else from you. You owe me nothing more. I release you from this debt. You owe me nothing. I forgive you. See, when God is involved in reconciliation, he can transform those that are involved. He transforms both parties. Think about it. Esau went from saying, I'm going to kill you, to I have enough. You owe me nothing. Listen, that phrase carries such power. And even though the original blessing was given to Jacob, Esau had received his own blessing from Isaac. Esau had been blessed in his own right. He had, been, he, he had riches and he had wealth. And if you read about him and his descendants, then you know that, that the Lord made him into his own powerful nation. There were two nations in the womb from the very beginning that the prophecy was. God had blessed Esau. And Esau was willing to, to look at what he had and say, I have enough. I don't need anything else from you. The offended party was Esau, but he was content with the gifts he already had. He didn't have to be repaid by Jacob to move forward. And Christian, I want you to catch the parallel. Before you hold somebody's past over their head, consider what you've received from the Lord. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of our sins have been cleansed. God doesn't hold our past over our heads. And if you're a child of God, there's no limit to God's forgiveness for you if you will humbly confess it. And yet how many of us look at the hurts in our past and the offending parties and we say, I have God's complete forgiveness, but I need, your, I need whatever you owe me too. I demand that you repay me what you owe me. And what we're saying is, I don't have enough. We are saying that forgiveness of all my sins isn't enough for me. I need you to repay this too. And it sounds a lot like that servant in Matthew 24, 24 that said that was forgiven of this huge debt by his master. And yet he refused to release somebody else who owed him something small. We have far too many forgiven people refusing to forgive people we have far too many forgiven people refusing to forgive people and if you're a child of God you've received unconditional forgiveness Jesus Christ died for your sins and he offers to forgive all of them you've been afforded an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with God forever we're talking complete forgiveness of every sin a lifetime of sins forgiven that's what you receive from God that's what I've received from God that's what he offers every person in this room today and maybe you came in here and you don't know that your sins have been forgiven you don't know that if you die today you'd go to heaven I'm telling you God offers complete whole exhaustive forgiveness of every sin in your past every sin that you've, you're going to commit today every sin that you'll ever commit he forgives all of it Jesus Christ died for your sins and he'll forgive you of everyone you'll ever ever commit that's how exhaustive his forgiveness is and it's available to you you say, well, he doesn't, you don't know what I've done. God does. And he says, I'll forgive it. 
I don't care what your past looks like. Listen, I'm not saying that you don't have to deal with the consequences of your past. But, but God doesn't look at your past and hold it over your head. He looks at your past and he says, very, for, very forgivable. My son died on the cross for every sin that you'll ever commit. And he, and he wants you this morning to come and trust him and ask him for forgiveness and he'll forgive you. But you won't forgive somebody else because of one word spoken years ago. You won't forgive that because of that one thing they said behind your back. You won't forgive because of that one moment of conflict. You've been forgiven of everything about that one argument you got into. You still think about that every time you think of, you see their face. You've been forgiven of every sin, but that one mistake they made. You know what we might as well say? We might as well look at them and say, I've been completely forgiven, but that's not enough. I don't have enough. You will repay what you owe me. And if we leave God out of our hurts, that's the result. That's who we are. Unforgiveness leaves you thinking that what God has done for you isn't good enough. And when that happens, what you demand, number one, what you demand won't give you what you're looking for. See, demanding repayment for an offense will not satisfy you. Revenge is never enough. And we think it'll fix our angst, but it doesn't. It will not give you what you want. And what you demand also will bring about something you don't want. Because Matthew 6 says, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will our Father forgive your trespasses. So we are to forgive as Christ forgave us, or we place at risk our own forgiveness. And maybe you're Esau and you've been wronged, and you're just looking for repayment. And even if you give it, it, get it, it won't give you what you want. And you have to come to terms with this. What God has done for me is more than enough for me. I have enough. And it's time to let that water stay under the bridge. And you must be willing to say, I don't need revenge to move forward. I don't need to be repaid to be happy. I don't, I don't have to watch them crash and burn. To live a good life. God is enough. And if he's in control of the outcome. That's enough for me. Psalm 103. The psalmist says. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. And I wish you to follow it up with. So why would you deal with other people. After their sins. What's amazing. Here. I mean, it's, it's only until you get to this point. That God is enough. That you can forgive and move forward. And when you can finally say God is enough for me to move past my past. What I have from him is all I need. I don't need you to repay. I don't need you to crash and burn. I don't need revenge. I have everything I could have ever hoped and dreamed for. In a God who forgives me of every sin I've ever committed. What's amazing is the effect that this has on Jacob. It's at first he was saying, take all these gifts so I can find grace in your sight. Well, look at verse 10. It says, and Jacob said, nay, I pray thee, 
if now, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For I, therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee because God hath dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. You see this? That Jacob at first was bringing gifts to find favor. I'll take the gift. Take it, take it, take all this stuff. Well, once he realized that he had forgiveness, he still wanted Esau to have the gifts, but not in order to get forgiven, but because he'd been forgiven. And that order matters. Because there's a lot of religions in this world that say, well, you got to give all these gifts if you want to get forgiven. But when you know you've been forgiven... Your motive is still to give lots of gifts, but because you've been forgiven of everything. See, our motive for forgiving other people is not so that we can find favor somehow with God, but it's because we've already found favor with God. We've already been forgiven of everything we've ever committed. And because that's enough for me, then no matter what somebody else does to me, I will gladly say, I forgive you too. I have enough. I don't need anything else from you and I probably won't ever get it anyway. So I'm just going to focus on what God has given to me and he has given me enough. So the question today is what step toward reconciliation do you need to take with somebody this morning? What, who do you need to get right with? Is there a spouse in a marriage? I'm telling you there's lots of opportunities. For offense in a marriage. Is it, is it uh, parents? Teenagers? Is there somebody you need to make, right, you make that right with? Is it, uh, is it uh, your children? A family member? A church member? A neighbor? A co-worker? Listen, what steps do you need to take? Because the way I see it in, in this room, there are Jacobs and there are Esau's. And the Jacobs that have done the offending need to take responsibility for your actions. They need to admit it's nobody's fault. I made a mistake. I failed. And I'm sorry. The Jacobs in this room need to be humble. The Jacobs in this room need to take a, the first step. But there's also Esau's in this room. And Esau's are just as guilty of doing it wrong because Esau holds it over your head sometimes. But the Esau's in this room need to see the Jacob's coming and say, you know, God forgave me of everything. That's enough for me. I forgive you too. And the way I see it is there are people on both sides of this argument, both sides of this coin, and we all need to do it right. If we want to experience reconciliation. Listen, if God is enough, choose forgiveness. If God has forgiven you of everything, be content with that. The only right response is to forgive each other as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And you might say, well, why does this all matter? Okay, I know I need to take a step. 
Well, it matters, number one, because this lets us know that God is concerned about reconciliation. In other words, God wants his people to be right with each other. As a matter of fact, God is a God of reconciliation. And the Bible says that he hath reconciled sinners unto himself through Jesus Christ. So in case you think God's asking you to do something he wasn't willing to do himself, no, 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 no. He sent his son to die in your place so that you could be reconciled to God. So God is a God of reconciliation. That's why this matters. But second, the other reason this matters is because you can't be all God wants you to be. You cannot move forward for God until you're willing to reconcile with the people in your past. Look down at verse 17 again. It says, And Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth, which means booths or barns. So he comes and he builds, a, he builds barns for his cattle. And he starts to settle in the land God promised. And Jacob, verse 18, came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, which he came from Paddan Aram and, and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of, of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, and for an hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Say, okay, what does all that mean? Well, Jacob finally comes to the promised land after years of being a pilgrim. And he starts to finally settle. He starts to build structures. He builds a barn. He builds a house. And then he buys property. He's starting to see God's promises come to fruition. He's starting to plant some real roots in the promised land. And there's two things that stand out about this. And one of those is the name in verse 18. Jacob came to Shalem. So many commentators believe that that is the precursor to Jerusalem. Salem, Jerusalem. And we don't know that for sure, but we do know what that word means. Shalem, shalom, peace. See, it wasn't until Jacob reconciled with Esau that he got to experience the peace in the promised land. And you cannot have peace within God's program until you seek reconciliation with those you've hurt or those who have hurt you. Peace with God is available. But it comes after you've made things right with other people. Very similarly, look at verse 20. And he erected there an altar and he called it El Elohe Israel. And we could spend lots of time looking at this. But the idea is this. The God of Israel is a mighty God who keeps his promises. See, God had brought Jacob back from the wilderness to the place that he had been promised. And Jacob built an altar to celebrate what God had done. So you have here, you have Shalem, which means peace. And you have El Elohe Israel, which means promises. And you see Jacob finally, for the first time in his life, enjoying the peace of God and the promises of God. Why? What did he have to do before he got there? He had to be reconciled with his brother. And you say, well, that's not really all that significant. I'm not sure, you know, what, what you're trying to get to, except that it sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. 
leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Listen, we live in a world, everyone's seeking God's peace. Everyone's seeking God's promises. And they're at altars and they're crying and they're making a big deal of it. And they're worshiping and they're trying to find peace. And they're trying to find promises. And what Jesus Christ very clearly said is, you'll never find it if you don't make things right with that brother that has ought against you first. So you can try to be everything you want to be with God. But if you don't fix things horizontally... You can't be right vertically. And it's time for God's people that want his peace and they want his promises to say, you know what? I'm willing to take responsibility. I'm willing to take a step. I'm willing to be humble. I'm willing to forgive because I have enough. I'm willing to say, you know what, God? You're enough for me. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to ask for forgiveness. I'm willing to make things right so that I can be right with God. You want to be right with God? Get right with your brother. And our church family will be celebrating the Lord's Supper for our church family tonight at 6. It's all about examining yourself. Making things right with God. Listen, you can't be right this way until you're first right this way. So I'm encouraging you, challenging you, begging you to make something right with somebody else before you can experience the peace and the promises of God. You cannot move move forward in God's program until you deal with the hurts of your past. Is it time to let an event become water under the bridge? Is it time to take a step of humility and responsibility? Is it time to release somebody from a debt they owe you because God is enough? And they may never acknowledge it, by the way, But your peace and promises aren't dependent on their reaction. It's dependent on you taking the steps you're supposed to. And I know what God would say today. Is it time? He would say, yes, it's time. Take responsibility. Humble yourself. Take a step and be willing to forgive. And live by this. What I have from God is enough. I refuse to demand anything else from you. What hurts in your past need to be dealt with this morning? Let's stand. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. This is our time of invitation, which we give you an opportunity to make a decision, to come forward and deal with things here at the altar. God wants to be reconciled. He wants you to be reconciled to him. He wants you to be reconciled to others What steps do you need to take this morning to make sure that happens in your life? What hurts in your past are you still holding on to? What what has someone else done that you have refused to let go of? You cannot move forward in God's kingdom. and, And you cannot move forward in his program with peace and promises until you make things right. Reconciliation. For somebody in here this morning, you may say... I've never been reconciled to God. Well, Jesus Christ died so you could be. If you don't know, listen, if you don't know if you died today that you'd be on your way to heaven, why don't you make that decision this morning? 
Say, you know what? I humble myself before God. I don't want to leave this place not knowing where I'm going to spend eternity. Would you come forward? We'd find somebody for, with, a, with God's word that could show you from God's word how you can be saved. But for the rest of us, for the Christians in here, those already saved, what steps of reconciliation do you need to take with somebody else? You cannot move forward for God unless you take those steps. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, and I don't know how much this applies in the moment, but I can guarantee this, it applies in the future. There will be hurts. There will be injuries. And our response to those injuries determines whether or not we can move forward in your program. So God, give us a biblical view of reconciliation. Thank you for the example from Esau and Jacob. Thank you for proving to us that if you can heal this relationship, there's no relationship outside your control. We appreciate the truth and we're thankful for it. And we pray that you'd help us to respond in a way that pleases you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.